Well, good morning, River Hills. I'm so grateful you're here this morning. In a moment, my friend Steve Parr is going to come out and share with you what it means to keep your kids in church, why they stay. And there's some great research that he's done over the years and can't wait for us to hear all about how to keep our kids in church. So if you have grandkids or you think about having kids or if you have kids that are adult, whatever it may be, this is a great opportunity to really learn how to pour into them. But before he comes up, I want to share with you about next weekend, November 28th. Next weekend, we have one service at 11 a.m., but at the same time, we're going to be bringing a potential next generation pastor candidate to our church. And here's how that's going to work out. This next generation pastor candidate is going to be over children and students. Now, he'll have direct reports underneath him in our children's ministry. Morgan is continuing doing a great job with that. But he's obviously going to be directly involved in that. And so we want you to meet him. We want you to get to know him a little bit, have some time to ask some questions. And so here's what we're going to be doing. If you are a Kids Cove volunteer, we would love to host you for breakfast next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We'll have donuts, coffee, juice, things like that, and get to meet him. Uh, and then right after that, church is at 11. He'll come and tell his testimony here at church. And then right after the 11 o'clock service, we're going to have a meet and greet with kids, kids parents. So if you, if you don't serve in kids ministry, you want to meet him, we'll be in the Merge Spanish room to talk with him there. Then later on that evening, he'll come back to church. And if you have kids in the student ministry, please be here. We're going to have pizza. We're going to have some things going on, but we want our students to get to know him and his wife, ask questions, ask difficult questions, and really understand who he is. And so that will be from six o'clock to 7.30. And at 7.30, we're asking parents of merged students to join us and get to know him and ask questions as well. This is a big deal for our church. So I want to encourage you to pray about this and to begin to just really make plans to be here. I know many of you may be on the road or you may have be too full from turkey and dress. But make sure you're here November 28th to meet our potential next generation pastor. I'm so excited to introduce my friend Steve Parr. Y'all give it up for him. Thank you. And I appreciate Chip and I appreciate that introduction. And uh, wow, how uh, providential. Uh, I don't know if he coordinated it or not, but for me to be here on this subject in advance of next weekend, that is powerful to think about. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as you turn there, I'm going to start by asking you a question, and I believe it will intrigue you enough you'll want to zero in and see what God has to say to you today. How many of you want your kids, your children, or if you're a grandparent, your grandchildren, certainly, or, or your children maybe that God will bless you with in the future, or, or even if you don't have any children or don't plan to have kids, the, you know, your nieces, nephews, your cousins, those kids you love, here's the question. How many of you want those kids, those children, not only to come to faith in Jesus, life-changing faith, but you want to know they're serving him faithfully in a local church when they're 35 and 45 and 55 and beyond. If that'd be true of you, say amen. amen. Uh, well, you don't sound real enthusiastic about it, but I really do, okay? Uh, let me see. How many of you want them not only come to faith in Christ, you want them serving Christ in a local church for all their lives? Say amen. amen. Sure we do, absolutely. And that's what this message is about. And let me tell you where it came from. Uh, I, I came all the way from the big city of Bethlehem, Georgia to get here. And wow, that was a long drive. And uh, got here. One of my daughters lives in Winders, as a matter of fact. She'll be here in the next service. Three daughters and two of my daughters are faithfully serving Christ. One, when I began this journey, was out of church. And I'm wondering, where did I miss it as a parent? And uh, I, I beat myself up a lot. But I will tell you this. One thing I learned through all this. You can do everything right as a parent 
And you know things can still go wrong? Think about it. God is a perfect father, yet all we like sheep have gone astray. So I want to say if you've struggled with your kids and their faith, it may not be that you've done a lot wrong. As a matter of fact, I can say this though, if you do everything wrong, it's not going to go right. So we need to know what those right things are, which increase the likelihood that your child will embrace faith, come to faith, and serve him faithfully into their adult lives. So one daughter's out of church, two are in church, but I'm also seeing this exodus from the church of children who grow up in church. And it has changed in the last couple of decades where now we've come to a point that after high school graduation, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but more teens are now leaving church after graduation than staying in the church. And that troubles me. I don't know about you. That really bothered me. And so I began to dig into this subject and did some national research uh, to determine what, what is it that makes a difference. But instead of studying while we're losing young adults and losing kids, I, I did just the opposite. In our study, we studied those who grew up in church and we looked at were they still in church or not. And instead of asking why they left, we asked why are they still there. Thus, the project was called Why They Stay. And I'm going to give you about a half hour this morning from God's Word. But man, I've got hours on this. And go to stevepar.net. You can go to Amazon, check out the book Why They Stay. But I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm just not trying to sell you. There's so much more than I've got time to share with you this morning. But I do want to share with you one testimony before I get into the message this morning. Remember the daughter I told you that was out of church? She will be here likely at 11 a.m. If not here, she'll be in her home church. She'll be here with her husband who I baptized on Mother's Day. And she is faithfully serving the Lord. She's so hardcore, she goes to business meetings. I'm telling you, it's amazing what God has done in her life. So all three of my daughters are serving and faithful. And I'm so thankful for that. But there was a season of about a decade where one of my daughters was out of church. She had strayed. Well, we need to look at what God's Word says about this. And I will tell you, as we did our studies, we found a lot of things that increase the likelihood that your child, your grandchild, or that teenager here today, or that person watching online, that child, that they will still be in church as an adult. Uh, certainly, we want them to uh, come to faith in Christ. That is the first component of that. But what opens their heart even to the gospel? Now, I've loved parenting. I don't know about you. I, I, I've loved it. I, I'm finished with that to some degree. I'm still a parent, but now I'm a parent of adults. And it's a whole different ball game than when they were little. And, you know, and I don't have to worry about the middle of the night when I'm dead asleep and my daughter comes in and she's three or four years old and she taps me on the head and wakes me up. And I look up with those big eyes and my baby girl looks down at me and I say, well, what is it, darling? And she says, Daddy. I think I'm going to throw up, you know, we'll get out of my face, you know, so, you know, I'm past those days, thankfully, and uh, for the grandkids, I let them handle that kind of stuff. Well, before I get into the text, uh, I want to share with you, since I don't have time to share all of it, some examples of things we discovered, and you will find these things in Ephesians 6, but we found, for example, that your marriage has a strong influence on the faith of your child, for those of you who are married. We found the stronger your marriage, the more likely that your child would be in church as an adult. And so I want to say to you as a parent, as important as a vacation Bible school is and Bible study in church, really one of the best things you can do to foster the faith of your child is to love his mother. 
love his father or her father, whatever, to love the other parent. And if you wrestle with that, or, or that's been a struggle for you in terms of that relationship, that is not the only issue we discover. That's one that you need to be aware of. It does make a difference, and you can really feed the faith of your child by loving your wife and by loving your husband. I just wanted to share that with you. Another thing we found out just as an example was that those who were still in church, their mom and dad were very balanced in their discipline growing up, which means we studied and asked them about their parents' disciplinary style. They weren't abusive, certainly, because they were abusive. That just damaged their view of God, so they were not abusive. But neither were they hands-off, where they just let their children do what they wanted. Uh, that turned out to be as egregious in terms of the likelihood they'll be in church as if the parent was abusive. But we asked, were your parents abusive or very strict, somewhat strict, just in the middle, somewhat lenient, very lenient, or hands-off? And we found the closer to the middle they were to being balanced, the more likely they were in church. If they were very lenient or very abusive, or excuse me, very strict, they, they tended not to be in church. So I wish I could give you a pill for that. And I do a lot with parents, and I talk about that, but I think about from Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about bringing your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And when he uses those two words, he's not being redundant, nurture and admonition. This is another sermon in and of itself. It's to bring them up in the nurture and the discipline. And that, that nurture is when you love on your child and you tell them how great they are and you encourage them and you cheer them on and you let them stay up late and you, you give them extra cookie. That's the nurture part. That's kids, that's what we like, the nurture, right? So we need to nurture our children. That's what grandparents do all the time. We nurture our children, our grandchildren. But he also talked about that nurture and the discipline of the Lord. That is, do your homework, eat your vegetables, you know, get to bed on time. No, you're not wearing that. You're grounded. That's no fun. But which one should we do with our children? Should we nurture or should we discipline? Well, the scripture tells us to do both. You bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that gets increasingly difficult as they get into their teenage years where they're trying to find their own way. And it can be very frustrating, especially if you have a very strong-willed child because you're so frustrated, many times we're doing all the discipline and we neglect as teenagers to have the nurture or the fun part. And the bottom line is this, have high expectations of your kids, but have a lot of fun with your kids all the way through their uh, uh, lives in your home and even beyond that. So we learned balanced discipline made a difference. Another thing we learned was this, those who were still in church, their mom and dad served in church when they were growing up. Now listen to this, I, I didn't say mom served in church, I didn't say dad served in church. Who did I say? Mom and dad. When they were growing up, mom and dad, I did not say attended church. Their mom and dad served in the church. For those of you watching online, and I understand why you're online many times, but I'll say this to you. If you're a parent, it's so important that your children see you serving, and it's hard to do that when you're disconnected from the body. So I want to you consider that in terms of your opportunities to be in church serving together. And we noted... When kids saw their mom singing on the praise team, their dad serving as a greeter or an usher, when they saw their moms and dads doing those things, they were more likely in church. And, and I say this not to manipulate or coerce you into anything. But if you're here today and you're a parent, it's important that you're serving and that your children know you're serving because they're more likely in church today's 35 and 45 than a mom or dad here right now that are not serving or where only one of the parents is serving. So take advantage of that. Now, that's just a warm-up. That's the sermon before the sermon. Are you ready? Okay. Are y'all with me to this morning? Are, are we here? You with me? I, I, I like people to participate. I like to know you're, you're with me and, and God is working. Let's look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, okay? Now, Deuteronomy chapter 6, I don't know if you stand ordinarily, but I'm going to invite you to as we read God's Word. Stand as we read this text, this powerful text, 
about the system for, for helping our children to come to faith and to be connected to God for all their lives. So Moses says, this is the command. The statutes and the ordinances, the Lord your God has instructed me to teach you, speaking to the congregation, so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel. And be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly. Because Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you are when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's, let's pray together. Father, bless your word, God, not because I'm preaching it, but because it's yours. And God, I pray your Holy Spirit will fill this place and will hear your voice today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. I'm going to read that again, but I'm going to read it. I just rewrote it as if Moses were speaking to River Hills Church today. How might he say that today? Not to take anything away from the inspiration of God's word, but I was just trying to make it plain as I could. So I rewrote it like this. Listen carefully to what God teaches about living a blessed life. And I'm for that. You should follow this pattern when you are young and when you are old. So teenagers, boys and girls, this is for you too. It's not just for your parents. Follow these instructions all the days, all of your days, and not only will you reap the benefits, but your children and grandchildren will be blessed by your obedience. All members of River Hills Church should listen carefully and commit to follow the pattern I'm about to share so that your family and your church will be greatly blessed. Listen up, because here we go. God the Creator is our Lord. Love God passionately. With all your heart, soul, and strength, don't be half-hearted in your relationship to God. Keep this thought in your mind and in your heart every single day, not just on Sundays. Be sure to show your children by your actions and express with your words how much you love God. Do this repeatedly, whether you're at the dinner table, celebrating a special occasion, while you're riding in the car, when things are going well, and just as importantly, when things are tough, show them and tell them that your faith and confidence is in God. Wear your love for God visibly for your children to see. You don't have to schedule your love for God. Let your children see it as you work, as you play, on Sundays, on weekdays, and on weekends. And don't neglect to allow them to observe how you worship and encourage other believers by your devotion to God through life in a local church. It will not be real to them unless it is genuinely real to you. Let them say of you, my parents were sincere in their faith, fully devoted, modeled it for me, and passed it on, and I want to do likewise for my children as well. I want to share with you three things from this text that we learned, and certainly the research is important, but we know that everything we discovered is certainly rooted in God's Word. 
Now, I will tell you, there were some surprises in our research, and really, uh, two of the three things I'm going to share with you this morning from this text were surprises to me to some degree. And so here are the three I'm going to share with you this morning from this text. Number one was this. We discovered that those who grew up in church and were still there as adults had a deep love for, get ready for this, their pastor when they were growing up. Their pastor, as in Chip. They loved the pastor when they were growing up. If you go back to chapter 6, verses 3 and verse 4, let me just read that for you again. In verse 3 it says, Listen, O Israel, and be careful to follow these instructions so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. So I'm going to go to that part of listen, O Israel. Now, God is fully capable of demonstrating his love and speaking to us in any way that he will. But God has always, always throughout all of history spoken through men and women. God has spoken through people. Right here we see him speaking through Moses. Moses is the leader of this congregation, the congregation in Israel that he's led out of bondage, out of slavery. He's leading them into the promised land. And he pauses here, and he did this on more than one occasion, and begins to teach or give instruction or to preach to them. So God is speaking through his servant, Moses. Uh, Moses led them for many years, of course, and what we found in our study was interesting. We found that the more pastors a child had growing up, I'm not talking about staff members, I'm talking about senior pastors, listen to this. The more pastors a child had growing up, listen, the less likely they were in church. In other words, it made a great impact when they had one man like Moses, one man like Chip who had invested in them for years and years and years. And I've never thought about this, but growing up, I came to know Christ at 13 years of age, and I only had one pastor from the fourth grade all the way through college. And it never occurred to me the impact that that had on my life to have one pastor and not to keep rotating pastors through every two or three years. Now, I know Chip's been here a long time, so I'm preaching to the choir to some degree, but let me speak about this for just a moment. It's so important for you to find a place if you are a parent with kids living at home and you establish yourself and that you're not bouncing around from place to place. It's important that you connect them. Now, let me show you why. We understand as believers the theology or the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer, meaning that we can all go directly to God. You need to go through no human agent. You need not go through a denominational servant or a, a pastor or a priest. You can go right to God. But in, in the mind of a seven-year-old, who is the pastor? You see, they're very concrete in their thinking. And in their mind, the pastor is God's representative. And, and the pastor is that, by the way. But they have an even deeper view than perhaps you do about his role and his representation. And if a child has difficulty relating to that pastor who's before you every week, it really hinders that child's relationship uh, to God or his ability or her ability to connect with God. So if Chip were here, I'd say some words to him. And as a matter of fact, I often preach to pastors. And at this point, I would talk to pastors about engaging young people and speaking. And, and I even try to do that when I preach, even as a guest. I try to acknowledge the, the boys and girls and the children and the teenagers and let them know they're a part of this experience this morning. This is not just for adults. This is for all believers and all seekers to come and hear what God has to say. 
When I talk to those pastors, I talk about the importance of them doing those things. I point out how Jesus was in the marketplace one day and boys and girls were coming up to him, you might remember, and the apostles got a little frustrated and began to shoo the children away. Say, hey, get away from here. Dr. Jesus is a busy man. He doesn't have time for kids. You know what Jesus did? He did not rebuke the children. He rebuked who? The apostles. He said, let the children come to me. And he, he embraced it. He encouraged the children to come and, and to be around him. And that's what a, a strong pastor does. And while you can call a next-gen pastor, and I commend you for doing that, and a next-gen pastor can make a tremendous difference, as great a job as he does, he can never substitute for that role that the lead pastor has, I'm just telling you. So how does that apply to you as a parent? It means you need to do anything and everything you can to facilitate the relationship of your child to Chip, to your pastor. Or if you're watching online and you're a member of another church, that you facilitate the relationship of your child, your teenager, to your pastor by, uh, again, coordinating opportunities for them to connect together by having the pastor in your home or doing things together with them or after the service, just coming and staying a word to the pastor. Those things make a difference. I was preaching revival services. Don't see those a lot anymore, but I was preaching revival services about a month ago, and there was a, a, a nine-year-old boy there, and that nine-year-old boy is the pastor's son, and I, I went up to him as the guest speaker, and I'm nobody, by the way. I'm nobody, I know that. But that nine-year-old kid, I'm somebody because I stand up here. And I went and, and uh, Samuel, he was, you know, saying, thank you for being here. And I said, put him I said, man, I'll tell you what, I'm so proud for what I see God is doing in your life and what he has for you. And I wish I had a camera to show you the expression on that kid's face as the guy who stood in the pulpit looked at him and said, I see God working in your life, and I know God has a great plan for you. He just lit up. It meant something to him that the pastor acknowledged him, that said something to him because it means something to our kids. I'd also say this. Now, Chip's not here. I love Chip. He's a dear friend, but I will tell you, this may surprise you. It won't surprise his wife. Did you know that Chip is not perfect? Did y'all know that? In case you didn't know, I'm going to let you know. He does make mistakes. Sometimes he says the wrong thing. Sometimes he, he, he just messes up. We all do. Every pastor messes up. No pastor is perfect. I'm not about talking about egregious failure. I'm just talking about sometimes we misspeak or we hurt somebody's feelings, even when we don't mean to sometimes. Now, here's where you got to be careful as a parent, okay? Let's suppose Chip says something and it bothers you. The Bible tells you how to deal with that. You go to him one-on-one -on -one and say, Chip, you said something that bothered me. That's the way you do it. And, and you'll have a conversation. You may realize you misunderstood, or he might have said it one way, and that's not the way he intended to come across. But if you will go to him or to your pastor, 99% of the time, you'll resolve it within about 15 minutes or less. But you know what many people do? When they get upset with the pastor and don't like what he preached or what he said, they go home and have roast preacher for lunch and then wonder why their teenagers don't want to come to church. One of the worst things you can do is to criticize the pastor in front of your kids. I'm not saying to be fakish or not real. You, you need to be authentic, but I'm saying go to the pastor and deal with it and let your children know that pastors aren't perfect. Teenagers, I'm going to say something to you you've probably never heard before. Boys and girls, listen to this, because nobody has to tell you this, but I'll tell you. In church, you will eventually get your feelings hurt. I can guarantee it. You know why? Because you're around people. And it may be the pastor. But I don't serve God based on what people do, teenagers. I serve God based on what Jesus did. 
So don't let the fact that you do have some kind of issue with a pastor. Now, I'm going to say, if a pastor is messing up, it needs to be dealt with. I'm not saying don't deal with it. I'm saying be cautious and deliberate in the way you deal with it because the relationship between a pastor and children and teens is very critical. So you need to foster that relationship. Well, here's another one we discovered here. Number two, let's go to verses five through eight. Let me read the text first and then share with you the principle here. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's talking to you. Love him with all you got. These words I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. So it's talking about the importance. Now the pastor now is talking about the importance of the parent in your relationship to your child of demonstrating and articulating these biblical principles, letting them see you love God, and you telling them about loving God. But here's the second thing we discovered, which was a big surprise to me and totally changed my mind about something. We discovered those who grew up in church and are still there worshiped alongside their parents when they were growing up. They worshiped alongside their parents. Now, I'm going to open up a can of worms perhaps here, and I'm going to be very careful. I don't know what your approach is as a church. And I'm not judging at all about your approach. I'm speaking to you as a parent for a moment. We're not speaking of preschoolers here. We're not talking about the bed babies. We're not talking about the two-year-olds and three-year-olds that uh, at two years of age act like two-year-olds. They run around and play. And that's what they should be doing right now is running around and playing. And it's hard to run around and play in here and not be distracting. So it's probably better we have a place for them. But once a child gets to be six, seven, eight, nine, and it's more important at eight than at seven, more important at nine than at eight, the older they get, the more important it is that they have experiences worshiping alongside their parents now let me tell you what's happening as they're worshiping alongside you they need to see you engaged in the worship they need to see you i can't sing well but i sing out i don't sing because i sing well especially my kids i sing because they need to see me singing i just try to blend in well they need to see me Bible open and taking notes and zeroed in, showing them that I love God's word and I, I, I'm really engaged. I love God. I want to hear from God. I'm, I, I'm speaking. They didn't hear me on the way home saying, man, that really spoke to me. That was powerful, wasn't it? And, and affirming what God did. They didn't hear me saying, man, we had people say today, that was so awesome, was it? My children need to hear me demonstrating that I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And did you know when you do that, they're more likely in church than parents who are disengaged one of the ways they see your engagement is by worshiping alongside you now if you do have a children's worship experience i'm not saying just stop that you can talk about that i'm just saying as a parent you get to facilitate opportunities for them to worship alongside you and you may remember earlier we talked about how uh in my little introduction there that parents uh kids who grew up in church and were still there their parents served in the church when they were growing up Here's where they see you singing on the praise team. Here's where they see you taking up the offering. Here's where they see you doing these things and demonstrating those things. Again, these things interact and overlap to some degree and strengthen the faith of your child. So it's so important they see you worshiping together. Now, the reason this was a surprise to me, with our daughters, here's what we used to do. We're in a large church, and we would drive at the church at about 9.30 or so. We'd take them to their Bible study. We'd go to our Bible study. And uh, then after the service, after Sunday school, what's called Sunday school, connect groups, whatever, we'd go to worship the big church. They'd go to their worship, the children's church. And then at 1230, we'd pick them up. 
and we had gone all three or four hours. They'd never seen us interacting biblically, spiritually at all. And I, I realized looking back, and I even told my daughter, excuse me, I told my wife upon dropping my baby daughter off for college, that last child, driving home, I said, you know what, I really wish we had worshiped more together when the kids were growing up. There was something, I hadn't done the research yet. This was just in my heart that I'd missed something there. And sure enough, uh, uh, again, it's not any one thing that makes a difference. It's all of it compiled. Uh, but it's just important that you have those opportunities to worship together. Let me show you why. If, if you're second grader in the worship right now, if you have a second grader, they'd be sitting with you. So what happens is, in some churches, we put our children in a separate worship experience, and we finally bring them in to the worship experience in around the sixth grade or so. Now, what's ironic about that is that the sixth grade or so, there's something called adolescence. Are some of you familiar? We finally bring them in when they no longer want to sit with us. We missed a window of opportunity. So I'm saying when they get to the third grade, it's more important than the second grade. When they get to the fourth grade, you've got to capture that opportunity while they want to sit with you. And I'll say this, if they're teenagers, they can still sit with you. And I would encourage them to at least sometimes, they can sit with their peers some, they need to sit with you some. Why? They need to see you and experience a mom and dad, not mom, not dad, if possible, mom and dad worshiping and applying God's word. And that is their principle going on right here. So I'm not here to judge or criticize or, or anything, talk to you about how you should do your children's worship or not, or what your next gen pastor should do. I'm talking to you as a parent, understand this principle. It was a fact that boys and girls who worshiped alongside their parents were much more likely in church at age 35 than those who were continually separated from their parents during the worship experience. Now I'll say this, there's value to Bible study groups when you get the fourth graders together and the ninth graders together and the single adults together and the senior adults because we can just zero in on some of their intellectual educational needs and, and where they are, but we've got to be sure that we're intergenerationally connecting also, especially when it comes to worship. So love for the pastor worshiping together and here's the final number three for this morning and look in verses seven eight and nine if you would in verse seven i'm gonna start in verse six says, these words i'm giving you today are to be in your heart verse seven repeat them repeat them repeat them to your children talk about them when you are in your house when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, what, what are we to be writing down? What are we be, to be repeating? What is to be in our heart? It, it is the word of God. No doubt the word of God. Here's the third thing we discovered. That those who were still in church as adults had a high view of scripture. You say, what are you talking about? Well, we asked those in our survey, and by the way, to be clear, this was a national survey. It wasn't a Georgia survey. It was from here to California, every state. It was multi-denominational, and it was a credible survey, I mean, scientific survey with a margin of error and everything. It was pretty cool how it worked out. It gave us this information, and we asked one question was this, which best describes your view of Scripture? And here were their choices. A is I have doubts about the Bible that it is God's Word. In other words, it's just fairy tales, maybe. I don't believe it. I have doubts that it's true. B was this. I believe the Bible is God's word, but has been corrupted by translation over time and is not totally reliable. 
Option C was this. I believe the Bible is very important to believers. There's a better view right there. That's a higher view. But here was the highest view, D. I believe the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God and should guide believers in all they do. Now, here's what was interesting. Those who answered they had doubts about the Bible being God's word. They were 26 times less likely to be in church than everybody else. Why would you go to church if you don't believe this? What would be the point? I'm trying to say to you parents and Bible study teachers and church that apologetics is more important today than it's ever been. And I got a lot of apologetics when I was in college. You can't wait to college anymore. People have so much access to information. Your children have more at their fingertips right here on their iPhone than I had in my university library. They have access to more information and more people have access to them and it can be very confusing. Now, while you might suggest, Steve, you can't teach teenagers and children doctrine. You can't teach teenagers theology. I would say to you, if a teenager can learn trigonometry, they can learn theology. Yes, they can. They're, they're, they're really, they're more mature than we were at their age. They're not necessarily more intellectual, but they do know more because of the World Wide Web and the day in which we live. So that is a blessing to them. But we've got to be aware of that. But what's happening also is the belief of younger adults today in the divinely inspired Word of God is being undermined like it was never undermined with me and you. And that is a great challenge. So it comes back to us as parents, first of all, are they seeing us? handling God's word. I want to give you a, a clue here. I'm not old school and I'm not legalistic about if you come to church and you open your iPhone to find the text, that's fine. I, I don't mind. But I will say this. If I've got my second grader with me, I'm going to have my Bible because I don't want them to doubt what I'm looking at. I want them to know I'm looking at the word of God. It's important for them to see you handling the word of God. It's important for them to see you upholding the word of God. It's important for you putting uh, apologetic resources into their hands, and the earlier the better, so you can ground them in that reality. Because we did find that those who took the highest view that it is God's Word and it applies to my daily life, they were twice as likely as all the others, because there were two groups in the middle, twice as likely to be in church as the rest. You know, 500 years ago, or the first 500 years after Jesus uh, ascension into heaven the key question was who was Jesus that was the key question but for the next thousand years the key question was how does one get to Jesus because that was so long ago but the question has changed today and it is this how do you know what you know I believe this is the inspired word of God I, I believe you can rely upon it now, it is challenging. There are some things, there's things I don't understand sometimes. Sometimes there are things that are confusing. But I receive this as the Word of God, which applies to my daily life. This is God speaking to my heart. And when you rip this out, this is foundational. Because let me tell you this. If you get a child and you plant them on the Word of God, they believe that because mom and dad believe it, and you teach it, and you give them the resources they need. You give them the apologetic skills and, and help them not to fear the questions people have. And I'll say to you teenagers, remember this. Here's one apologetic tip right here. It's easier to ask a hard question than it is to answer a hard question. And so sometimes when your peers or you see something on the Internet that's a hard question, it can confuse you or make you feel a little on defense. But listen, it's a lot easier to ask a hard question than to answer one. That's not just you. Don't be thrown off by that. But if you are planted on God's Word 
And standing behind you is a pastor who's loving you and encouraging you and cheering you on. And standing on both sides of you are a mom and a dad who love you and they love one another. And they're giving you a safe haven, though the world seems to be a mess and it's all messed up. When you come home, there's a place, it's not a perfection by any means, but a place where you feel safe and you feel protected. And there's a church family that loves them and they're worshiping together. Let me tell you, when you surround a child with those things, they ordinarily will not only come to faith in Christ, but they'll be serving him into their adult lives. You see, your faith is not a casual component of your life. Here's what you need to hear this morning. It's not just a casual bit of the equation. Your faith and the demonstration of your faith before others, particularly your children, is not a casual component of your life. Listen to moms and dads and everybody here. It's a critical component of your life. It is God, I'll acknowledge, who saves by grace, not by deeds, not by your deeds, but this is true. Your deeds can serve as a door to the gospel, opening it wider to those around you or potentially shutting them out by discrediting who Christ is and the difference that he can make in one's life. If your child loves you, and they do, by the way, why would you, why would they place faith in Christ when you don't demonstrate that it makes any difference? I'm going to read that question. It gets very powerful. Okay. If your child loves you, and they do, why would they place your faith in Christ if and when you don't demonstrate that it makes any difference? So dads, I want to say to you, is Christ, do they see it making a difference in your marriage, in your life, in your work, in your conduct, in your behavior? Moms, do they see it making a difference? Teenagers, is it making a difference in your life? The gospel is built on the atoning death of Jesus, certainly. God's only son who lived a virtuous, sinless life, who died for our sins. He rose again by God's power. I want my children to know that. Now, one response. I want my children to know the gospel. How about you? Can I get an amen? I want them to know that. I want my children to not just know that. I want my children to believe that. How about you? I want my children not only to know it and believe it, I want my children to embrace it. How about you? I do. I want my children to live it for all their lives. How about you? I want my children to demonstrate it to their children. How about you? And that is my heart's desire. And that's why I come to present this this morning. That's why Chip invited me. Not doing this in perfection because we are not, but in persistence and in genuine faith. And I'm calling on all of us, teenagers, boys and girls, moms and dads, grandparents, singles and married, today to do that for our kids, for our kids to come. And those kids are around us day in and day out. I want our praise team to come and make their way just now. We're going to have a song we're going to play. And as they play the song in a moment, I'm going to have you stand and just take a moment in prayerful reflection. And I want you to ask, God, what are you saying to me with this? If you're a teenager, what is God saying to you with this message? Because it's for you too. If you're in elementary school, what was God saying to you through this? If you're a grandparent, what does this say to you? About encouraging your children who are parents and fostering that. I mean, God's speaking to all of us, so where? I'll say this. God can't do what he wants to do with your children. It's so difficult if you don't have a genuine faith relationship with Jesus. 
And I'm calling on you today, if you've never surrendered your heart to Christ, that this would be that day. Uh, you're going to see up on the screen in a moment, there's a number you can text, and we would love to talk with you more about your next steps in your faith. I'll talk to you afterwards, but here's the day. Here's the, today. I, I'm calling on you if, you, if you don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus today, you'd go before him in your heart and say, God, today I do know you love me. Father, I fall so short, I'm a sinner. And today I need the forgiveness only you can give. I need your power in my life. So today, Lord, I'm surrendering my heart and my life to you. I want you to stand, if you would, for just a moment. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to just ask, God, what are you saying to me through this? And think about what you need to do with it. What actions do you need to take? What is it you need to change? What do you need to do with what you have heard this morning? And in just, in just a few moments, I'll close this out after you have a time to reflect. Let's do that right now.